right. Welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and learn about other cultures. Uh, my name is Nosa, and welcome to yet another episode. Today, I have my very first, I have two firsts today, right? So I have my very first guest from the country of Tanzania, and I have my very first guest for 2023. So happy new year, everyone, if you're hearing this. And welcome, Justa or Justa? Justa. Justa. Oh, my, my bad, my yes, bad. I'm yes. sorry. It's okay. Welcome, Justa. How are you? I am good. I'm so thankful to be the first of 2023 and first of your, like, this is amazing. I like the first of everything. <laughs> hey, hey, it might be Thank a sign. You. you know how they say in Africa, man, the new year brings new tidings. 2023, my year of increased promotion and all that good stuff. <laughs> so. Amen. Amen. More blessings to you. Right, right. And you're dialing in from Tanzania, right? I'm calling from Colorado where it's snowing this morning. Uh, and I see you just chilling off, you know, just <laughs> out there. In my backyard. Nice and warm. Yep. In my backyard. <laughs> you probably might hear birds um, singing. And I have like a rooster here waiting for me to feed it. So you might hear it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That th Those are one of the, the sounds we don't hear like over here, like that make us miss home. Like we don't hear like and now like there's this thing going on in the u.s now eggs are super expensive now so you what? can't find eggs on the shelf i was lucky i just went to go buy like three crates before the price went all the way up so like a crate of like eggs is like ten dollars right now it used to be like no two dollars or something yeah so it's crazy right now so i was like man if i was at home like there are all these chickens i could just go pick an egg from around the neighborhood exactly you know? my rooster needs a female right now so i could get more eggs if it's that bad right. hey if you find a way to ship it over here man you might make some money <laughs> just i don't saying. think it's gonna want to come there it's way too cold <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i know oh man so how long i know you were living in brooklyn right we got introduced by um through nancy a mutual friend of ours from concrete pastures so shout out nancy and I know you're you're a fellow New Yorker who used to live in Brooklyn, but you've been in Tanzania for a minute now. Maybe let's start from there. Like, how long were you in Brooklyn, and how's the transition? How long have you been in Tanzania now? And how, how's that? Um, difference? I was in Brooklyn a month ago, and um, I'm in Tanzania now. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, so um, my transition. Oh my God! It probably started like because I am Tanzanian. I was born and raised here. Um, I moved to the U.S. when I was at the age of 12. Um, so my majority of my adult life um, I've spent in the U.S., but then I caught the bug. And I've, but I've always wanted to travel back home and to like find a way to give back back home per se. So that has always been a part of mine. And I've always wanted to discover of how I could be able to do that. Returning back home for my mom, it's like my mom gets very, very happy every time she hears like, my kids are coming back to Tanzania. She's like, yes, at least one of them came, two of them come, three of them. Like she gets- How many really siblings you have? It's five of us. So all of us keep on coming back and forth uh, back home because she has invested a lot. As you know, a lot of diasporas, whenever they get a little bit of money, they send it back home to invest in building their homes, That's... building houses. But some of the, the kids who they have in the US or who they take back to the US, usually they don't, sometimes they don't return back because they're already adjusted to life in the US or anywhere else and they don't. But my mom is like super happy every single time she sees us coming back. But it has always been my, like, it has always been one of my dreams to come back home and give back in some form of way. And so I've always, even since college, since everywhere, I've always seeked 
of how do I come back home? And that's how I landed into the travel. But then going back home, I still travel. Like your question was like, how long am I here and how long am I there? I'm in US probably 30% of the time. And then Mm -hmm. um, like 70% of the time I'm in Tanzania. So yeah. Yeah, that's a good mix. That's a good mix. Yeah. And, you know, parents are always conflicted. Like, I'm not sure how it is in Tanzania, but in Nigeria, it's like, you know, your parents tell you, oh, like, I don't like in Nigeria, like situation is getting worse and worse in the country. So your parents just like, just stay there, just stay there. But they'll say, but come back, but stay there, but come back, but stay there. So, yes. but my, my brother went home for Christmas last year. And of course, uh, my parents were very interested. There's this dynamic between you know, between this whole returning back home, you know, fun fact, like one of the names I wanted to call this podcast was the returnee podcast, right? Before I named it culture class, right? Because I was thinking that, okay, let me see. I probably will be in the US for like three, four years, whatever, I'll go back and then I'll document my journey, like going back when I start the podcast, that kind of thing. Like that's not the theme we ended up settling with, but I can definitely understand. To to peel back those layers to make people better understand, let's start from your childhood, right? So from what yeah. I understand, you were born in Tanzania, but pretty early on in life, uh, you were shipped out to Uganda for boarding school, right? So l- let's talk yep. about that. Like, what, what can you remember, like, growing up in Tanzania? And why did your parents think it was a good idea to, like, send you to boarding school in a different country so young? Yeah, I went to Uganda, I believe I was, like, five years old. And if oh, wow. I, my five? Yeah, my nieces are like seven years old right now. And to think to my sisters taking my nieces to like a different country for school at seven rather than five is like way too young. But then I thought I was so grown. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was so grown. And I lived with my grandmother because my mom had the plans of coming to the U.S., I, that was her always her dream um, to come to the U.S. and give us a better education. So, but she had to work at it. And um, there was a point in time she had to leave us so she could be able to fulfill her dream on her side first and then bring us on board. So going to school in Uganda, because um, Tanzania um, at that particular time, even until today, your first language that you learn is Swahili. In schools, especially primary schools, are taught in Swahili. But when you came to Uganda, which Uganda is actually very close to my village um, compared to Dar es Salaam. Dar es Salaam is probably, there is some to my village, which is in Bukoba. It's probably driving is 22 hours. Um, going to Uganda is probably like five and a half hours. Um, uh, so, so you, you guys drove to Uganda? Yeah, so we drove to Uganda. So Uganda okay. was easier to drive cross the border to get into Uganda versus coming into um, Dar es Salaam uh, compared to my village, which is closer to Lake Victoria. Um, So the distance from from my village to Dar es Salaam, which is the capital, I mean, it's quote unquote the capital of um, of Tanzania, is quite far, which is 20 hours, 22 hours to get there. So that's why it was it was closer to studying in Uganda compared to studying in uh, in Dar es Salaam, which was the most popular city in Tanzania. It's not the capital, but it's the most popular city in Tanzania. But wait, but um, you were five, right? It's not like you were going to university or something. Like, aren't there no, no, like... No, no. But like, this is... This, I, this is, is like our, elementary school, right? You're right. This is like elementary school. But like, usually, um, it's typical for like, at, at that time in the nine, 90s, it was, it was typical for like, parents to take us to school boarding school in different places so it wasn't like a first um, I mean I was the first Tanzanian to Tanzanian coming from my village to go to school there but it wasn't a first my mom went to school in um where in Nairobi that's where she studied but like 
to be able to get a better education, quote unquote, English education, they took us outside of um, Tanzania to take us to Uganda. So that's how I ended up in Uganda. Got it. And this must have been like the early 90s, something like that. And you guys drove to Uganda. It wasn't like the period of like conflict in most African countries. This was in 94 and the genocide was happening in Rwanda. So like literally like the river, the, the river that connected Tanzania, Uganda and um and Rwanda, Rwanda, you could mm-hmm. actually, they used to say, you could see like the bodies there oh, um, wow. that passed through the rivers. Um, but like, it was pretty, it's pretty much a rough time. Uh, but I never, I did not experience that because my, of course, I was protected by my grandparents and everybody. And then I was young. I was not, not young and I did not know. All I knew is I had to go study. I had to go to school and get a bit better education because my mom promised me that she would take us to America. So you have to learn English. That was it. That's all oh, I knew. Also, this spe- and, specifically went to Uganda to learn English. Exactly. Yes. Because Uganda, they taught, the first thing that they taught was English. Um, compared to Tanzania, where it was emphasized to start with Swahili first. Swahili. Well, I mean, look at yeah. you now. You probably understand like multiple languages. So look at you now. Your mom was probably on point back then. So. Oh, my grandmother. My grandmother and my mom were right on point. Like they, like my grandmother was like, they're going. <laughs> nice. So nice. Um, and my mom, my grandmother raised us like my, since they did not get education, she wanted to make sure like everybody gets an education. Um, and I also helped my mom because she had like five kids. Um, like my dad was there, but like my mom was the one who was putting more emphasis on what we should get. So my mm. grandmother was like always pinning, they must get this, they must get that. So she did it everything in her power so we could be able to get a better education. Was there any resistance from your dad? Like what was, what was like your dad like growing up? Like would he, did he drive you over there? Like tell me a little bit about your family or the family you, you came from. How was that like growing up? Wow, my family is pretty interesting. So I come from the royal family. Um, although, oh, really? The chiefdom, yeah. They, it's a chiefdom. Okay, the, I'm talking to a princess was, right now. <laughs> yes. Although it was abolished in 1960s after we got our independence, but they still have the royal blood in us. So on my mom's side and both on my dad's side. And also, that's why you see the emphasis of like uh, modernness into it where the education was emphasized um and even growing in the village like our parents knew the education because we were exposed um more than anybody else so that's why they wanted us to have a better education um wait 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 wait, wait. talk talk to me about the tribes like maybe you're about to get into (laughs) that but like what is like when you say you're from royal family like what what tribe what clan like what is it what they call the king or how's all that stuff how does it work so it's way way before it was the kings and queens and then it was switched over to the chiefs i don't know why probably had to do with the the quote-unquote the royal families in england or something like that but they ended up switching to chiefs but like there are nine chiefdoms within our um our village not within like within the region of our village it was nine of them and so out of the nine we came from one of them and it's within the bahia people there was like nine chiefdoms and each chiefdom was colonized by like a different chief, but like they all had like their own um, rules and policies and all of that, which was like, it's just really cool to reading more about the history. But higher people, yes. Uh, what, what part of the or country the is like, not all the highest, like north, south, the east, higher. west? This is north, this is northwest. It's really on the horn of the beginning portion of like Tanzania and closer to Uganda. Interesting. How did your father get that title? Was it passed down from his father? 
Yes, and, everything and is inherited chief, right? from our parents. Yeah. Well, is there a local yes. name? Do they call him the chief? Yes, Omkama. Omkama. That's what it's called, Omkama, yes. Okay. So my brother is the one, my dad died two years ago, so my brother inherited it. And he's taking it to the head. <laughs> oh, man. Is he your younger brother? He's my younger oh, brother. Oh, man. He's I can like... imagine how that is. Like, you watch this dude yes. grow up and it's not like, I'm now Unkama. You have to listen to me. And it's tradition, I... right? So He's taking it to here. I'm like, but you live in the modern days. Like, chill out. <laughs> right, right, right. But are, is the Unkama required to stay within the Bayama, like, province and, like, there's, like, a palace or house that he, he doesn't have to leave? Or how does that work exactly? No, not anymore because it was abolished um, when we got our independence. So mm. now it's just we are known as, but it's not as it's not practiced as much. Yes, mm. the last people to colonize us was the British, and then yeah. they stripped us of all of that. Typical, <laughs> typical British colonial tactics. I mean, I can I can definitely relate to that. So I'm from like the Bini tribe, which is like from southern Nigeria. I'm not royal or anything, but like. We also have that, you know, like back in the day, like our Oba or our king, you know, the empire spread, you know, to parts of West Africa and, and things like that. But when the British came, you know, they stripped down everyone, you know, from their royalness and whatnot. But was there any type of pressure on you, like being um, the daughter of a chief growing up? Like, what are some of the things like you were required to do growing up? Do you participate in like festivals and things like that? Like, how was that like? Um, I never got to experience it, but my mom did. And of course, uh, my grandparents did. So Pat, let me say when they were going to school, they always had like somebody to go with them who helped them carry their bags, carry their homework. I mean, but there were royal rules that they had to go under. And of course, all the celebrations, they were, uh, they were welcomed. And like, if you go, like, if we go back to our village right now, they still call my mom Omwana, which Omwana means princess. Omwana. So... Yeah, even my dad, the whole my dad until he died, the day he died, he would always call my mom by princess Omwana. Omwana this, Omwana that. Yeah. Oh man, I can't blame your brother, to be honest. Like if I had people who can do all that stuff for me, I'll have someone like editing this podcast, someone doing all my stuff for me. But oh man, so how long did you end up spending in Uganda? Oh, you said you moved to the US at 12, like when in Uganda from mm-hmm. five to twelve before you moved to the US. Correct. From five to 12. Oh, wow. Was, so you didn't yeah. touch back in Tanzania at all or you go back there for holidays? No, I did. Um, I think it was like every six months, whenever we got a break from school, that's when mm. I went back for like a week or two. Um, and so my grandparents um, and my mom at the time, I think she was she was in the U.S. By 94, she was in the U.S. So I did not get to see her at all. Actually, I did not have a relationship with my mom until I got to the U.S. Um wow. Yeah, and it was a whole different ball game listening to my mom in the US compared to listening to my grandmother. <laughs> how how is that? Your mom was more strict than grandparents. My mom to wanted to be strict, but she's a creative. So, so it's like the strictness is it wasn't much there. But we always respected that and thank God we came out to be like really good kids. And and how was your life in the US compared to like being a chief's daughter and or granddaughter and being very respected coming from a royal family? Like, did that translate? fairly well to the u.s or no it's meaningless <laughs> to the u.s um <laughs> it's, it's literally it's like okay you are an african kid coming in you have the accent you have short hair um what are you wearing um it's like you get lost in your transition like literally i was lost 
Oh, man. Um, I had a thick accent coming in, especially coming in from school in Uganda, because um, I had to learn Uganda first and then learn English. So my accent was like, you couldn't even understand me. Um, I probably had to write it somewhere. But like it was English, though, but you couldn't understand me. Um, so coming from that, having an accent, I had like a literally boy hair, shortcut, very, very short. Um, so people used to judge me. Are you a boy? Are you a girl? The whole thing, like teasing was like, it was crazy. Um, that was in, I came in, I went to middle school. So education wise, it seemed to be like, I skipped a couple grades. I skipped like two grades. I went from seventh. I was in fifth grade. Then I was skipped to seventh. And then from seventh, I went to ninth grade. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because like my mathematics and everything was like up to par that I passed all the tests and I was able to skip over. Um, so that's one of those things. Um, but of course, adjusting to the environment and like kind of like the kids being assimilating to what they're doing and all of that did not work for me. Um, I was teased a lot, but then I was very helpful because I had, um, I went into ESL, which is English as a second language. And that you spoke English. a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spoke English and all the five other languages, but they told me English was a second language. I was like, okay. But right. I, of course, I got a lot of special treatments and all of that. And I never wanted to leave until I went to college because it was like, it was almost like you're working one-on-one -on -one with uh, with the teacher instead of like being in a class of like 20, 30, but you have like a one-on-one -on -one teacher. Um, oh, wait, that but how does ESL work? It, in the ESL class, are they just teaching you English or all your subjects are taking in the ESL path? Like no, I didn't, go, I didn't go to school here, so... Yeah, no, everything is English. ESL, everything is English, but you in the classes, probably like people, um, I had Jamaicans in the class. I had, um, I don't know why Jamaicans were in there, but they were. Um, um, I had um, Spanish people, definitely, and other people from other countries, which English was their second language. Um, but we got like special attention. Everything was still done in English, but it was just kind of like slowed down and this like, okay. Ah, so, oh, yes. my, my thought about ESL class was that you just go there to learn English and then you join all your math and science subjects, you join the other class. So it's a special class where you take all the subjects, just like at a slower pace. Yeah. Ah, I see. I still, see. And they, easy, they did kind of like easing you up into like the school, the regular school systems. So like your first year, you did a lot of um, English as a second language classes, and then you were eased in into um, all the other courses. Ah, okay. So you yeah. must have been exposed to other cultures as well, like going to school with Jamaicans and like Spanish Definitely. people. Like, do you make friends with any one of those people? What were like some of your cultural interactions being a 12 or 13 year old, like getting to interact with people from all these countries? Yeah, I, I think I got along a lot with um, people from like other backgrounds because we had the same journey, same story of a kind of like immigrants. Um, definitely Jamaicans. A lot of my friends were Jamaicans. I learned a lot of dances. Um, I was dancing with them. They understood. Definitely Haitians. Of course, I had people from like other people from like Europe and everywhere else. And um, yeah. In Africa, of course, a lot of Af other fellow Africans. So it was like just a melting pot of like all cultures. But we all had something in common, which we all traveled into the U.S. and we were starting our lives there. So that that nice. always stayed in common and we were able to get along really nicely. And was this in New York as well, where your mom settled? Yep. This was in Mount okay. Vernon, New York. Yep. Oh, okay, Mount Vernon. So, OK, not too far away from yep. Brooklyn. OK, so you ended up you know going to university like selling in, in Brooklyn like how long did it take you before you went back to Tanzania 
I think I was, the first time I went back to Tanzania, I was 18. It was a gift from my mom, um, a graduation gift, actually. Nice. Um, so that's the first time I went. And when I went, I just like kind of like, of course, you have to visit all your family members. <laughs> and yes, this typical um, and like a Caribbean or African, when they go back home, you have to visit all your family members first. Um, so that's what I did that first year. And then um, as I got older, as I started making like my own money, I started coming back a, uh, a little bit more often, but it was still visiting um, family members. Um, that was majority of it. I never knew nothing about tourism or I didn't even think about to like venture into travel or tourism. I did not know that our country had that. Yeah. I mean, but looking back, like the, the way your life panned out, like you going to school in Uganda you interacting with cultures like it's just it's almost like you were being prepped to do what you're doing now um mm -hmm. so what was that like obviously like there's this thing about going back home right it's it's almost like do you go back to the real home like people go back for 30 december and like nigeria and ghana and like they go back and they're all in these posh places and they, they see only one picture of the country. Like mm -hmm. they don't get to interact with like some of the real locals on the ground and whatnot. And so it, it can, can be a little bit distorted sometimes, especially if you didn't grow up for a long time back home. Like what was your interaction like with the people like the first few times you went back home? And um, since I had the kind of like an earlier exposure to like our, um, to just living back home, especially like in the village, because like, it wasn't technically, technically like a village village, but like it was in the mid range. So like I grew up there and I knew my life there until I was like 12 years old. So like I was pretty good at knowing how life is like. And that was my my familiarity. That's what I remembered about um, being in Tanzania or being in Africa. So I and that was my joy. That was my happiness. Um, so I, I was I, we always seek that even in our household, like in New York, my mom always spoke to us in Swahili. We always ate our cultural food. We always if you want to dress in um, like traditional way, you always did. Um, so everything at home in the U.S. was still gearing us or getting us ready to when we come back home. So it, everything was kind of like similar. So when we will come back home, it's like, you have to go to the village. Of course, you have to go to the city. Of course, you have to come to Dar es Salaam. But it was always important that you touch bases with like all the way to the village. Because even my dad actually lived in a village. So you had to go all the way back to like, as people would say, your roots, all the way down right. to the village and meet everybody. And every time you go to the village, you make sure you come prepared because you have to also I kind know of what bring that means. Yes, yeah, you have to kind of bring back your fruits. Like uh -huh. you went somewhere, you picked your fruits, you have to Facts. bring them back. Facts. So Facts. when we used to go back all the way to the village, like I made sure you go to a grocery store. And if you go in way, way remote, like in a village where um, not a lot of vehicles go to, or like um, they don't have like the stores around. So we used to buy uh, like rice, you buy sugar, you buy um, salt, um, like all these commodities, you buy oil. And then you like for, for us, I used to separate it. So you know who who who's the family members you're going to visit. You separate everything. And when you go to visit, you present them with your fruits. And then at the same on the other side, they also present you with their fruits, which let me say, if we grow a lot of bananas, so they will give you this whole big thing of bananas. Um, or they will give you beans, or they will give you like a chicken, or they will give you, but like it's a give and, and take both ways. But that's mm. that's just our culture, that's how it is. Um, you just share 
um, your your fruits, whatever your fruits are. And it could also be in the form of a currency, but whatever your fruits are, usually you kind of come in and show them these were my fruits and then you kind of do this exchange. Oh, um, I love that. that. That was like, yeah, that was like my experience. And I still do that until today, but like that was passed on by my mom, my grandparents, my dad, we had to visit certain peoples. And that's also a way to keep up with your culture and keep up with like your neighbors. So they get to know you. Like for me, my dad died two years ago. My grandparents already passed away. But if I'm to go to my village, they know me. I'm a child of this, but they also know me by my name also. And they they still respect me from then. They used to see me then. So if I, I'm not like a, a stranger going into my um, my village. I'm not I'm myself and I'm also represent I'm also I also represent my whole family who was there before so that's that's how it kind of works out and it, we don't we don't try to kind of like wishy-washy where you come and you stay in a beautiful hotel right. and you don't see family no 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 we actually a house in Dar es Salaam that I live in right now um it took us time to be able to acquire it um we intentionally saved money like my whole family intentionally saved money to be able to build a house that's comfortable for us to come in and not being not to just stay in hotels and that's it and act very wishy-washy apana no <laughs> right right you say dar es salaam so fast like i'm not tanzanian so i always call it dar es salaam <laughs> like yes. but you, you say so fast you're probably so used to it but when i say dar es salaam, dar es salaam like, okay the dar es salaam okay yes. that's capital <laughs> Of Tanzania, but it's pretty interesting. Like the the gift giving you you said, like you know, I just wish Nigerian village people, if you're hearing me, learn from Tanzanians. God damn it! Like there's no exchange. Like we we take things back, but you're not giving anything in return. If other you you probably get this is not enough. <laughs> then you know, oh here's my own token back to you, type of type of thing. But shout out to your mom for you know um, really imbibing that culture even while you were in New York. I guess New York is a pretty diverse city like people from all around the world so maybe there are also like the tanzanian community in new oh, york yes, so you could go to strong. community events uh but tell us a little bit about the culture also like if you want to learn a bit of swahili for instance like what are some simple words you can teach our listeners uh if if someone finds themselves in dar es salaam what are like one or two popular foods that they can try like as a foreigner to get them into the culture that type of thing um oh my god swahili swahili is a beautiful language um swahili is a mixture of 72 different languages um really which is all the, yes the two languages and it's mixed with like spanish portuguese um arabic um but swahili is more more in depth so swahili a word in swahili i would say habari um habari, habari. means yeah habari is how are you or what's the news? Um, another one, Nakupenda, which is I love you. <laughs> well, I know Nakupenda. I know Nakupenda. Yeah, I probably Nakupenda. use Nakupenda once or twice, but <laughs> be careful how you use Nakupenda. Um, Trust me, I've learned like, my lesson. <laughs> yes, greeting wise, when you're greeting an adult, you say shkamo, and shkamo, yeah, shkamo means I respect you. Marhaba. Mm. Um, which is Arabic. Marahaba means I see you. Marahaba. Um, yeah, marahaba, which means I see you. So, and a, a, like a young person will greet an adult, shkamo, meaning I see you. And the young person, and the adult will say to the young person, marahaba, which means I see you. So shkamo, marahaba. Marahaba. Yes. So like, I if, if I approach someone, I can I tell an adult habari? 
Um, you could, but it's not as respectful. Okay, so Shamo um, always. Versus saying right. Shamo. Yeah. Okay, so if it's my peer, I can just say Habari, and yes. my peer can also reply Marhaba. No, you you reply Safi. Habari Safi. Safi. Yes. Safi. Oh, Nzuri. Okay. You could say Nzuri, Nzuri means good. Habari. Okay, that's kind of like how yeah. far. That's kind of like Nigerian pidgin English. When we say how far, it's kind of like what's up, like what's the news, like you said. Yeah. How far, mm -hmm. Habari, then I day. Or you could say Mambo also. A lot of mambo. people know Mambo. Not Jumbo. Jumbo is very touristy. Don't ever say Jumbo. Well, mambo. I, mambo. Yeah. Okay. If I say Jumbo, they'll know that this is probably from out of town somewhere. <laughs> And you're gonna get charged twice the amount of three oh times. man trust me look man i don't know like it's so funny because i'm here and people still say i have an accent even here in the u.s like i've been here for five years so people still say i have an accent which is fine when i'm talking yeah. to my people back home they say i i've lost my accent so I'm like which is it like <laughs> i get that all the mind. time they're like i get that all the time they're like mm, your swahili is mixed with something this is not the true swahili <laughs> I'm like, and then I go. I mean, Swahili is a combination of seventy-two languages mixed with something, anyway. <laughs> so. Exactly. I'm like, no, they're like, no, no, your Swahili is no good. I was like, what? Oh, I was man. like, but you could understand me. They're like, no, you need to speak a proper one. <laughs> oh man, oh man, just just keep well. Like my my brother, like he went back home with his wife, so he was like, tell his wife, just let me do the talking, please. Like the moment you they hear your accent, we're gonna be double charged for this, please. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man. Okay, cool. What about the food? Like what's what's some uh food you can introduce us to? Um, so just like how our language of food is also a mixture, um, we do have like a lot of Indian influence. Um, but then also when it comes to food, you also have to tap in into the tribes. Um, so Tanzania has almost like 120 tribes, and we speak almost oh, wow. like 200 different languages. Um, so each tribe actually has its own cuisine, um, and it's because of like whatever that, that could grow in that area very well is what they turn into a cuisine. So like from my region, which I come from the Bahia people in Bukoba, we grow a lot of bananas. Um, mm. So our dish is gonna be like a banana with like um, meat inside it or like with beans in it. That's our delicacy, that's our special food. Nice. Compared to the people from the coast, they have like an Indian influence. So you're gonna get like a lot of pilaus, which is like a spiced rice. Uh, they're gonna have a lot of food with like seasoning in it um and of course they eat a lot of seafood which the lobster here and the seafood here is like amazing from the coast um and it, it depends what region so like we actually do a culinary trip and um every october and um we talk about food because like food is like it, it's so the food here is so good but like you have to tap into the um the various um tribes to understand what the food is all about facts i mean that's the easiest way like culture class like the best way like anytime i try to interview someone like to to get a sense like you know it's too bad i live in colorado right now so it's not a lot of diversity when i lived on the east coast it's like okay let me see if i can try the food listen to the music so you know it's like okay start there like what, what type of music is is hitting out there right now in dar es salaam oh my god dar es salaam is this is like a melting pot we have almost like it's, it's almost like mini new york um the music that we have is called bongo flavor and bongo basically flavor. bongo means brains mm -hmm. so yeah so that's like that's the kind of music that we have here but like it's a mixture of everything it's mixed with our like the languages are mixed a lot of it is done in swahili but then they also mix with like cultural languages uh tribal languages and uh english it's just a fusion of like everything 
and they play like different instruments, but like it's a new music that it's like, it started like in the early 2000s, I guess you could say having like our own genre. 2000s, the 90s, that's when it started. Well, 2000s, or maybe, maybe I'm mistaken if for another genre that was popular in No, Eastern you Nigeria. are speaking of Congolese music, yeah. Ah, You're speaking that's of Cong Congolese music. My bad, my bad, Congolese. my bad, my bad. Yes. Yeah. Because I... Congolese music used to take over like the whole continent. Like it was just before the um like the Nigerian Afrobeats, before any of that, there right. was the Congolese music. Yes. Right, right. Probably right. Probably right. My bad. My bad. Like any bongo listeners listening, yeah, you guys can tap me in the comment <laughs> section. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, you talked you talked about your food trip. I guess that's a good segue to talk about what you're doing right now. So you have this uh, travel platform called C Curious on Tanzania, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. first, talk to me about the name and what is it you guys do at Curious on Tanzania? Oh my God, um, it's Curious on Tanzania. Um, it's basically an experiential travel company. Um, the curiosity, I am a very curious person. So like, I like to travel and I'm always just wanting to learn more. Um, so when I was entering the travel industry, what was introduced to me, um, was just like, oh yeah, travel is safaris, is Zanzibar, that's it. Um, but I felt like there was more because I got to experience more, especially, um, growing up in Tanzania and also, um, just being in the restaurant and seeing the music, seeing the flavors of things here, um, I thought like there was more and there's more of a story to be told and people should be more kind of like adventurous. There are people who are adventurous. There are people who want to seek more and they want to seek more to find themselves, but also to find people alike. Um, so that's how we created like Curious Sometimes in the Air. It's out of my own curiosities, but also to help others who are curious when they're traveling um they're able to kind of like meet their needs also at the same time so that's how i ended up creating curious in tanzania and living in brooklyn helped a lot <laughs> i bet <laughs> nice i mean that that's very organic yeah. like from your own curiosity and then you know so did you just like was there a specific experience that made you like birth this idea or you've always wanted to have something like this um, so my uncle has been in the travel industry for probably like 20 years then. And when he came to New York, he kind of like introduced, um, he gave us like a free trip. He's like, oh, you guys come to Tanzania and see the other side of Tanzania. So that's how I was introduced um, to the travel industry. And it just blew my mind. But then I was so not knowledgeable about the travel industry that I, I, got, I just got overwhelmed. Um, but like I had, I had to do something. And I knew for some reason, I knew that was how I was going to find myself back home. If I worked extremely hard and cracked the code, that's how I was going to get back home. So through once travel. I kind of knew right. that, yeah, through travel. Once I knew that, I was like, I, I will go. I once, I don't know if I'm going to get caught for this or not. I once um, attended um, courses. This was an entrepreneurship courses at um, NYU. And I attended them the first day I went in. Um, they were like, oh, where's your ID? I was like, oh, I forgot it home. Then the next day, they're like, oh, where's your ID? It's like, ah, I forgot it home. The third day, they're like, hey, Jester, how are you? So I sneaked in the classes because right. I needed to learn about travel. But I did not have NYU money. <laughs> right. So nice. that cost was That's very New Yorker of you, by the way. <laughs> listen, that, that was, listen, NYU has money, like seriously. But that course was like offered to like students, alumni, 
And then it was also offered to the faculty members. So I ah. could have failed in, in any of those. It wasn't particularly, particularly like students. So no, I did not take away from the students, but it was a course that they were starting out, but you needed to be amongst those. And I spoke at NYU once, so it qualifies as me. <laughs> right. Um, but I did a lot to kind of be able to understand the travel world, know where the gap is, and being able to know myself, I had to come back home, learn about self, because it takes to be an entrepreneur, you, it takes a lot. You have to, you have to convince yourself like this is something. And before you, before you even convince others, you have to convince yourself like this is real. This is what's happening. I could make sure I, I give you guys a great experience. Mm. So for me, I had to dig deep within myself. I even like more, probably like for three years, I'll go all the way to my village, visit my dad, which was the best thing that I ever did. And in the meanwhile of visiting my dad, I learned more about myself, around my culture, and just to accept self. And so when nice. I was building the company, it was like, okay, I am learning to accept self and how to communicate with others and how to relate to others and also share this passion of mine and hoping they will trust me enough where they could be able to say, you know what, I want you to take me on this trip. So it took a lot of work, though. Wow. So this is more than a platform. I apologize. Like I call this a platform because, you know, nowadays people just have like Instagram, you know, uh, feeds and whatnot, but this is actually a business business. So you take people on trips, you're paid to do this. So like, that's very impressive. Yes. Like, okay, let's sell it a little bit more then. like, who's your target audience? <laughs> like, are you focusing on like, you know, we have this whole year of the return thing in West Africa, African-Americans are, are trying to take back to Ghana. Are you more so foreigners? You know, who just maybe go to Zanzibar or like even like local Tanzanians who like you want to expose them to other parts of Tanzania? Who's like your ideal customer? So the ideal client, she's between like 18 to like they go all the way to like 50 something. The majority of our clients are usually women. Okay. Um, but we do get guys a lot, but like a lot because probably because also of our marketing tactics, we focus on like Americans. Um, and trying to bring them back home um, and home in sense of like Tanzania and just fulfill their curiosities. So one, it could just be, of course, I want to go to safaris, but the other portion of it, which a lot of, um, which for us, it has worked out for us where we focus on um, like self, like kind of like they, a lot of people say it's a transformative experience. So we focus on self also, because even for me, when I was um, learning about travel, I had to work on me. And when you travel, it's one of those experiences where it will show you a different perspective, but it also show you a little bit about yourself. And sometimes mm. you might end up working those things out where you are like, oh my God, this, this is like a aha moment. So we usually, when we are preparing, well, like all of our trips are customized. And where we usually, when we prepare those customized experiences, we want somebody when they spend 10 days with us, it's well worth it. And at least they bring something back with them or like something about them has like kind of like inspired them to wanting to do something or like it's changed a little bit of their perspective. So um, they're very intentional, purposefully trips that we put together. We do have a lot of fun. We do party a lot. <laughs> We do do all the luxury experiences. We do um, go on the streets and dance our behinds off. We do um, give back. We do everything that I would usually do when I'm in Tanzania and even more mm. and more on the luxury and even all the way on the local, even going to my village. So everything all in the mix together at the same time. Nice, nice. Okay, so if I if I hear you correctly, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, if anyone has ever used the word nakupenda and gotten their heart broken, 
can go on one of uh, Justa's trips and, you know, not just enjoy your trip, but also get some healing <laughs> and whatnot. So. Yes, we could help you with that. We will listen to you. That's what we'll nice. do. Yeah, nice. our okay. guides are very trained to kind of be attentive. Because, like, when it's a trip for somebody, usually become very heavy. And especially, like, when, like, for me, living in the U.S., I used to, I used to be very stressed. And everything was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. So, like, when I go on vacation, I want to be, like, well relaxed. If there's somebody Facts. to kind of listen to me and just, like, share my point of view, stories, connect. Like, it just gives you a different perspective. And when you go back, you're like, yes, that trip did me really well. Does this mean that most of the trips are, like, group trips? Like, you guys bring, like, a group of mostly women and things like that. And you guys get to do all these fun activities. How long does it typically last? And what are some of the highlights? I know you talked about the, you know, you give back. Uh, you have, like, your food tour. What are one or two other highlights, just in case someone is listening to this podcast and, you know, is thinking about going to the continent, that type of thing? Yeah. So we do a lot of, um, like, we do do, like, honeymoons. Honeymoons, oh, nice. um, okay. like all the group trips. Like right now, a lot of people are turning like 30s and 40s. So everybody's like, I want that ultimate, um, like group, like um, ultimate kind of like trip. Um, and then they're calling all their friends to join them. So those are still customized experiences. We also have our own group trips that we put together, like um, the culture trips, like culinary experiences, like very specific um, trips, like New Year's. Oh my God, you have to be in Tanzania for New Year's. Like that's one of the best trips like in Zanzibar where we do the yacht experience, um, culinary experiences, very luxury. Um, but yet we party like, oh my God, last month, people were partying until 6 a.m. in the morning and some mm. of them were coming back. Um, you think Ghana is good vibes? Tanzania is good vibes. It's a beautiful vibe. ocean. No, yeah, I, beautiful I beaches know it. on top of that. Taco is blue. So just imagine being in Ghana and having those beautiful beaches next to you that you wake up in the morning and you're just on the beach. Actually, you don't even wake up. You go from the party straight to the beach and you just stare at the, like, at the sunrise. Yeah, I know. A lot of Nigerian celebrities go to Zanzibar to, to show off. So it's of like, course, I, it's like Zanzibar, course. Mykonos, yep. uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Seychelles. Shells and now they're starting to add um like some Scandinavian like every other two or three years they just come up with a new place and Nigeria go shut it down. <laughs> oh <laughs> but, wow! But anyway, it's all good. It's all good. But man, this is interesting, man. Like you know, the oh, thing yeah. I love about this podcast is I get to interact with so many interesting people. And now, like I'm thinking about okay, like if I'm planning a trip to the continent, like 2025, obviously I have to start from West Africa, touch home touch Ghana but there are all these places I want to go to I, like now I've talked to someone in Zambia I want to go to the devil's pool I want to go to places oh in yeah Kenya. and now I'm meeting you from Tanzania like I'm like man I might have to do some type of tour <laughs> or something but <laughs> I'm glad we, we got to have this conversation and I'm touching base with you I think it's amazing what you're doing for the is it Tanzanian or Tanzanian what, what's the correct Tanzania Tanzanian all oh, right yes. the Tanzanian culture all right I got that right all right. So, um, but what is in the future for you? Like, what do you think uh, you personally or your business curious on Tanzania? Like, what do you think is in the future? What, what's in store for you? Um, so we are doing, working on one big project, which actually is it's a major milestone, especially like being in tourism. Um, we are looking to actually, we are looking to build. I recently bought land in Zanzibar. 
And nice. uh, we're looking to build, it's almost like a six bedroom villa. Um, yeah, six bedroom villa. And uh, it's going to be a space for like creatives. Um, oh, I'm definitely coming like, to in 2025. Yeah, like so okay. you could be able to spend, right now I'm thinking about like a minimum of like 15 days. Um, where you focus on your work, you focus on that project that you want to work on, writing a ah. book, writing everything. Like it's that, it's that place where you like, and you have like fellow creatives who are going to be there too. So it's almost like um, remote working remotely, but like you are working on self with a beautiful beach, with a beautiful wow, beautiful people, chefs, everything is going to be there. Wait, so um, are you going to have facilities like a music studio as well if some artists want, want to come I by? I would love or... to. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I would love to have that. But like this is because Zanzibar, a lot of places in Zanzibar, they're not owned by like Tanzanians. And I want to be one of the, I mean, some places are owned, but like I want to be one of those. I want to add on. I want to add on to that addition of like it's, a own, it's one of Tanzanian owned places or like I'm a Tanzanian diaspora um just opening up a place where it's gonna be it's gonna be called um what is it biela um biela villa which biela, biela in Swahili means happiness nice. um but i just want to bring like a collective of people just coming in working there it might take like two years um to build it and i'm, I'm at the current moment i'm actually working on uh, a proposal because i want to do like a crowdfund um, I don't want to make it only my journey to be able to build and that's it. I just want to involve right. like a community of people um, where we work together to build it. And so it will, the community will be able to feed off that. Um, nice. So that's what I'm working on right now. I love um, it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it, man. We, like any way we can help with that, like let us know. Obviously, people are listening right now. How can people reach out to you if you want to know more? People are thinking about going on a trip, maybe when the crowdfunding starts, like how can people reach out to you? Um, so if they follow us on social media, it's Curious on Tanzania, um, Curious on Tanzania, they'll be able to get like kind of like more updates or even CuriousOnTanzania.com. Um, I think all platforms, YouTube, Facebook, um, Twitter, everything is just Curious on Tanzania. Um, and I'll be sharing more information, uh, but also I do events in New York. So whoever is in New York, they will come for events. But I think I'm going to also be traveling um, throughout the U.S., but they could find all of that information um, on our one of our social medias or the website Curious on Tanzania. Nice, nice. Well, thank you. Well, definitely, people are going to be curious on Tanzania for sure after this episode. So, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Justa. I really appreciate you spending time with us, telling us about a bit of your story and infusing a lot of culture in there. I love how deliberate you are about you know your culture, but also I love you know your business savvy and also making it you know sustainably like economic and then things like that for yourself so that's really great um man like this this is you know this is a great kickoff to the year 2023 you know i think you've set the pace right now like i i gotta go out there and bring you know guests that can probably match your your energy and expertise like <laughs> we probably want to see you on the podcast maybe closer to when beulah is opening and things like that you know so uh looking forward to that as well um, in the meantime, thanks again for coming. Uh, for our listeners, you know, it's Culture Class Podcast uh, everywhere as well. You can follow us on social media. Uh, send us an email. It's cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com or go to our website at cultureclasspodcast.com. Um, if you want to be connected with Justa or any of the other wonderful guests we've had on all our previous episodes. So uh, till next time, guys, be well. Bye.